Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spodcast. I'm Ruth Scarn. With me are Alex, Chris, and Josh. Now, Josh, I, I understand that before we get on to the very serious topic of staying on topic, uh, presumably, you had some Patreon-related stuff to get out of the way, so uh, why don't you go ahead and do that? So we forgot to do Patron Week. Um, so that that's a thing. Uh, that'll be next week here. Uh, I realized on, like, Friday that we hadn't done Patron Week, and I didn't want to try to put up a poll on Friday to, to do it and then record, like, the next day. Uh, so uh, we're going to take care of that th- this next week here. Uh, and uh apologize for that uh this last month has just been like everything that could go wrong did go wrong man uh yeah no josh has been living out his car i had to get another car my uh, hot water heater blew up but i already talked about that um just all kinds of fun stuff uh just like financial uh, final destination yeah a bit um also we we hit our first stretch goal and then we unhit it um uh, through i think like credit card declines because like patreon started charging credit cards and i was watching the uh dollar amount on my patreon public facing uh, patreon page just drop by like ten dollars uh but then um the person who actually pledged sufficiently to uh to, to bring us up to 650 bucks uh, actually increased their pledge uh, so that we are now back up at 650 bucks, I think. I hope I'm not saying this. Just... I, I can hear the frenzy yeah, tapping as you, make these, as you make these calculations in the background to determine I was, just I was actually how much... logging into Patreon because I forgot to do that. <laughs> just to, to determine exactly how on track we are with uh, the computer's projections, our own projections, uh, our analysts' projections for Sp- Spodcast Incorporated, spoiler warning, LLC. So um, what that means is the stretch goal is that uh, we now do quick looks uh, at least twice a month, uh, once every two weeks. Um, so we're going to record one of those this week sometime, and that'll go up sometime this week, uh, presumably after this does. Uh, and then uh, two weeks from now or so, we'll do another one, and that'll be a uh, patron-selected quick look. So the voting stuff will be going up for that shortly. Um, also, uh, to the $5 patrons and above, uh, there will be hopefully a thread up by now where you can suggest, uh, games for this month's patron week. And maybe we'll do a patron week at the end of this month too. I don't know. Make up for it. So yeah, um, that's what you guys have to look forward to. All right, and now one interesting thing is that uh, sometimes we discuss things ahead of time. Sometimes we don't, uh, which is to say that Josh kind of does all the planning behind the scenes, and then when we arrive, it's just like everything is under a like a cloche, which you just like, you know, we sit down, there's just like the silver dish there. He's like, all right, so here's what we're doing this week. Just kind of cracks that open. <laughs> you see some kind of 90s-era abomination lurking. I will point out, just for the record that the only 90s-era abomination we have done on this show was at your behest. <laughs> that that may be true, yes. 
But on the other hand, you know, I, I feel like Battlespire uh, is such an important part of gaming history, and I feel like if I don't, yeah, keep it, it alive, really is. It was it was, it was it was a real like touchstone moment for a lot of people. You say that, but it was a video game made by one of the biggest game developers in the world right now, uh, which is in their main franchise, uh, at least like franchise setting, which is nearly totally forgotten. And I think that that that's that's very important. It's like if there was a Star Wars spinoff in the seventies that oh fuck the Christmas special right okay it's like if the Star Wars Christmas so, so, special no, was less well there known. Were, there were other Star Wars spinoff spinoff movies in the eighties uh, uh, that were like aimed at children. Yeah, like the Ewok cartoon. Oh, um, right, yeah. No, there were live action Star Wars movies that came out in the eighties that were like low rent straight to VHS things. Uh, I, let me look this up. And are, are you getting confused like, and thinking about the cutscenes in Dark Knight? Or not Dark Knight, uh, no. Jedi Knight? Because that had live action in it. Kyle Katarn is my nope. favorite Star Wars guy. He's all beardy. Yeah, Caravan uh, of Courage, an Ewok adventure, is a 1984 American television film based in the Star Wars universe. It is the first of two spin-off films featuring the Ewoks from Return of the Jedi. This film, which is set on the moon of Endor sometime after the Ewoks animated series, but before the events of the Return of the Jedi, focuses on the struggles of two young humans, a brother and sister, trying to locate their parents who have been kidnapped by a monster known as the Gorax. This is a real thing that actually happened. It's, it's hard no to hear about it. it. It's hard to care about knowing that once the Death Star 2 blows up, all that mass would rain down on the Endor moon and wipe out any life on that planet, moon, whatever it is. I believe that's been officially, like, excised from canon. Can, I, I don't can care if it's excised just, from canon, it would happen. Can somebody just cold ambush Bob Iger and just, like, demand to know what the canonicity of A Caravan of Courage and Ewok Adventure actually is at this point? <laughs> is Ray going Do to bump into a Gorax? I'm looking, at the, um, I'm looking at, well, I mean, they might soon. I'm looking at the VHS cover, the poster for it, and it's 20th Century Fox. It doesn't even list Lucasfilm. Um, oh, it might shit. be a 20th Century uh, Fox The company Fox was movie. Lucasfilm and Cordy Films, and interestingly enough, the distributor was Disney. <laughs> Oh, okay. Can you imagine well, if Can you imagine if Twenty-first Century Fox uh, came up with some kind of legal jujitsu and released a sequel to the Ewok Adventure using their <laughs> Caravan of Courage rights? <laughs> it just like dumped it in like right before uh, Episode Nine comes out. Oh, actually, wait. <laughs> okay, no, 20, Disney does not currently own Twenty-first Century. <laughs> Wait, or do they? They own Fox. They're 21st Century Fox? What are you even talking about? 21st Century they Fox just... is the holding company that owns 20th Century Fox and a lot of other Fox holdings. But it is not News Corp. That's an awesome okay. name for it. Um, but yeah, Disney is putting in a bid to buy them. 20th Century but... Fox, so we'll make a company that's above it that's 21st Century Fox. I remember renting this film as a kid and hating it. Uh, that's all. That's the reason I know about this. And I like it's one of those things that, like, if if I didn't have proof that it existed, I would have thought that I dreamed about it and 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 like it wasn't real. But no, this is a thing that happened. Uh, Warwick <laughs> okay. Davis was in it. 
it is a very special thing when you rent a movie as a child and hate it. I'm not sure that actually ever happened to me. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it happened to me. I'm just trying to think. Because, you know, like, as a kid, I was just like, yay, I'm watching a movie at home with my folks. Like, before age, like, 9 or 10 at least. Like, there was no real movie that was bad enough. Uh, I do remember I felt a sense of malaise after Little Monsters. I, I Is that the one with Howie Mandel? Yeah. Yes, that was the one I was going to mention, actually. So, Holy yeah, I shit. feel like that movie... <laughs> that movie kind of just has ba disappointment baked in. Um, oh, I think it's, I thought of another one. Uh, Drop Dead Fred was not as funny or as goofy as I was hoping. Oh, there's a connection here. I think the key thing about Little Monsters is that it it's just like a miserable movie. It's not like a just like a a dumb one or a lame one. It's like it makes you feel weird and bad. I mean, I just feel bad for Howie Mandel looking at the poster at this point. <laughs> I don't know if I feel bad for Howie Mandel as a general rule. Anyway, uh, so we're gonna move on a little bit here. Uh, I I I just found myself trying to follow back the chain of digressions here, but ultimately it came back to Battlespire, and I don't know if there's anything worth saving there. So we're just gonna cut straight Probably to not. Josh. You've been playing some video games lately, uh, which in some ways actually distinguishes you from the rest of us. Uh, is there any chance any of them is a new release? Kind of. Oh, let's hear about that one. I've been I've been playing this game called Exiled Kingdoms, and I want you to just like before I describe it to you, like open up the Steam page and tell me uh, what it looks like to you. Can I just guess right here and now? Because I I'm gonna I'm guess. Sure. It yeah. Look it's a castle and a river. And there's also a wooden um, gate. I'm imagining a survival roguelike. I think all those things are in the game. Uh, it is not a roguelike. It is a... like. This looks like Fallout. Low-rent Diablo-esque game with an open world. Um, it's wow. like 2D isometric... And it was, it's originally for, like, the iPhone, so this is actually a port of a mobile game. Uh, but it actually, like, it it works really well, and I actually kind of love this game. Except that it keeps, like, I've, I've like, it doesn't have a great autosave system. So I got outside, I, I beat a dungeon, uh, ran outside, forgot to save, and got killed by something, and ended up at the back of the beginning of the dungeon. And then last night, I beat the dungeon again got out of the dungeon and the game crashed before I could save. So uh, I ended up back at the beginning of the dungeon again because you can't save in dungeons. Um, but it's got this really interesting thing where uh, you can see it in one of the screenshots, like the the third to last screenshot you can see uh, on the Steam page, like the overworld map and how it's broken up into like grid squares there. Um those, those like that reflects the actual arrangement of the game world like it's like isometric screens of these things that are represented on the map so like um if there is like a mountain range to the south of you on the map if you go down towards it uh on, on like in the isometric like normal world map you will see mountains pop up like 
Oh, that's cool. It's a really interesting way of, of designing a game where you just say, like, okay, we're just going to, like, replicate the world map in the game. That's actually... Can I, I just get out of this out of the way real quick? That's one thing that I dislike about the world map for uh, The Elder Scrolls Oblivion. Uh, because Morrowind, to me, had one of the most exciting game maps that was ever really released. Because it did actually, like you say, it depicted a, a the game's world with like such fidelity and like with so many details. Like uh, it, you felt like each hill and rock it was that was drawn on there was like an actual possibility or an actual space that existed in the game. It was just looking at it really promised you that you're in for that kind of adventure. I think that that's something that games kind of forgot uh, for a while. Also, Cyrodiil was the most boring fucking setting I have ever seen in an RPG. You know, I I gotta say that uh, I find Skyrim somewhat more boring. I feel like we're kind of in, like, Viking overload now, but, like, when Skyrim came out, it was a little bit more novel at the time, I want to say. It was a little bit more. I I think the thing that ultimately uh, kind of soured me on that game was that not enough of what you discover in the overworld is interesting. And also, it's just so relentlessly monochromatic. Yeah, yeah. I, I always install, like, I, and, and this is Skyrim is like the one game I do this for because I, I generally find... Like, I, I install a color mod on it, uh, a lighting mod. I generally find that lighting mods tend to just fucking ruin games... And you get like like you to get high contrast, you crush all the uh you do what in color correction is called crush the blacks. Uh you make it so that dark tones are uh very like there's a very small band of like darker tones. Um and so you lose a lot of the detail in the shadows and stuff, which looks awful and is not at all how your eyes work. Um and uh and and they tend to like turn up the saturation to ridiculous levels and then all this kind of like awful stuff uh and oh and add a whole bunch of fucking sharpening which i hate um but in the case of i think i feel like in bethesda games i make an exception because i feel like their art department legitimately sucks on some like i don't know if it's direction <laughs> level or competency level or whatever but like skyrim is a very boring looking game yeah, I mean, I even just compare screenshots of, uh, oh boy, we're really going to get into this grousing circle jerk here. I, I'm going to cut us off here. I feel like Fallout 4 was a step in the right direction. Fallout 3 it, was bad, too. There I mean, you, you can kind of see it, it from yeah, that era. Yeah. Fallout 3 was just green filter. Um, but Fallout 4, you know, has some, some decent, you know, color direction and stuff. I, even just the art direction in general in Fallout 4, I think, is definitely a, a yeah. step up. You know, it, it, everything has a kind of a, a roughness and a specificity to it that I think is lacking in a lot of Bethesda's kind of, uh, like, mid-2000s uh, work. It's, it's sort of early 2010s yeah. work. Uh, I, I, I think um, kind of like, okay, uh, now that we're leavening this a little bit, I'm going to kind of edge in here. Uh, I think that when it comes to... Bethesda's like armor and kind of clothing design. One of the most graphic demonstrations of what I'm kind of what I don't like uh, is you can look at uh, bone mold armor in Morrowind and then compare it to bone mold armor in uh, the, one of the Skyrim expansions. And you know, in Morrowind, there, there's a lot of kind of 
detail to it, like a lot of kind of uh, like uniqueness and like a lot of kind of like flourishes and little touches and like kind of that there's the sense that each piece of this armor was designed. There's a sense that like that this armor is the product of somebody who's like really getting down and settling down with it and like in a in a very organic way. Uh, and it's it's very possible to find it ugly and maybe not be fond of the final design, but it has the sense that some in-game craftsmen worked on this, whereas the the Skyrim design is much more, like, holistically, like, integrated, where, like, you look at it and it has definitely, like, it has a, a look to it, but it also doesn't feel as much like something that, like, a real person in this game world worked on as much as it is sort of like a a single piece, like a single unit. I think part of that probably does come yeah. down to the fact that uh, Bethesda sort of moved in the direction of making outfits like an, an entire set rather than individual items. But I think it, at, at the end of the day, it, it sort of it had that secondary effect, which was undesirable. Yeah, I agree. Um, I I kind of hate all the equipment in, in Skyrim, almost all. Actually, the lower level stuff is way better than the higher level stuff. That is true. Uh, you know what? I was actually about to say that. Um, the, the higher level stuff looks a little too glossy. Like, it looks kind of like it has, a, again, like a, a little too unified and, like, comic book superhero-ish. Like, like 2010's yeah. comic book superhero look to it, where it's kind of like a vinyl chunky jumpsuit. It doesn't help that, like, in... Skyrim and Elder Scrolls lore, like the higher level equipment is this exotic stuff like glass and Daedric, which is just wear murder spikes as armor. Yeah. I, I actually quite like the um, the iron armor look in uh, Skyrim. Yeah. And I like the leather armor look too. Um, and the steel greatsword looks really good. Um, aside from the fact that all the weapons in that game are kind of just like big paddles, like they should be a lot thinner, and I don't know why they're not. Like it's not like you're making these things physically; you can make them look whatever you want. Like it's not like someone needs I, to like it's you can't pick out the sword that well from a distance, regardless of whether it's two pixels wide or one pixel wide. Like what? Are, why? Are, why are these things too big? I you know after Oblivion, uh, it's like any Bethesda weapon design is going to feel sensible. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Exiled Kingdoms is 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 fun. It's like eight bucks. Yeah, it's eight bucks, uh, and it's, it's Diablo combat with like a Fallout esque world. Uh, the writing is not good. Don't come for the writing. Uh, but um, it, it, it's serviceable. Uh, but it's just a what a are its ambitions? I just like some of the screenshots I'm seeing. Like, one of the screenshots is a character named Spice Trader Jethro. And that is, like, my favorite character name ever. <laughs> that definitely sounds like a 70s, like, alt-rock band. Yeah, I met him recently, like, and he just rock. told me to fuck off, actually. It, it seems like it's just aiming to be, like, a an old-school, like... It's you kind of have a party system, so you could say it's a little bit Baldur's Gate, Icewind Daily, but you know, like like that kind of like put a player in a world and give them some vague quests and have those quests lead to dungeons for loot. It's a it's two D isometric medieval fantasy Borderlands is what I'm saying. That sounds good. Well, all right, so uh, that, that's that's one of the more modern games you've been playing, Ben. Uh, when was that game released? 
the 23rd. But it came out ah. earlier on phones and tablets and whatever. So that is a new release, albeit one... Wait, actually, yeah. hang on, how did you hear about this? I saw it on the new releases tab. Oh, and boy. I was like, huh, this looks neat. I can drop eight bucks. You deserve a small medal for straight up buying a Steam new release uh, that you've never heard <laughs> of. That that is, that is praxis that I am not always equal to myself. I, like... I used to find games doing that, but then the store bloated and they never really fixed their interface and the new releases tab was just full of... It's now new and trending, so if your game doesn't have a, a enough of the momentum already, it doesn't show up there. And then you can actually just look at all new releases, but it's almost all DLC. You know, I've worked on like three Steam new releases at this point, and I still couldn't tell you how the system worked at any discrete occasion in which we launched a title. Fortunately, in each case, somebody else did, but... Yeah, I... it's... Definitely a thing. Like, I, don't, I don't know if we want to get into Steam stuff. We've ranted about it before, especially Chris. Yeah. Although, one of these weeks, we should really do an itch.io episode. Oh, that'd be cool. Just, like, trolling. We could do that as a stream, like, spend six hours and just, like, buying and playing itch.io games that we've never heard of. I, that, that sounds like a plan. We should do that sometime. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. If I end up releasing a game independently at some point, it is 1,000% going to be on itch.io. Not just because I actually understand it, but also because whatever game I make is probably going to be too shabby to make it on Steam. Well, I don't know. I, I recently saw a tweet about someone who bought a game on Steam and installed it, and it was literally just an empty folder on their hard drive. So I feel like the bar there is lower than you might imagine. Well. Anyway, uh, Josh, anything else you play that you want to talk about? Uh, just been playing some Overwatch and PUBG, really. Oh, and a little bit of Left 4 Dead, but we did that on the stream, so... What what exactly prompted you to come back to Left 4 Dead? By the way, yes, there is a Twitch stream of us playing Left 4 Dead. Uh, it has one of a... the best fucking runs we have ever done on the second level of Blood Harvest, uh, yeah. where uh, it, it was Glitch and I and, and two community members. Uh, one of them died... Um, like shortly after the spawn and we were just running it and then the other one ran into the witch ran away from the witch and glitch and i were just like fuck it we're just gonna walk right past the witch and the witch woke up and started chasing glitch uh but we managed to run all the way to the end before the witch could catch up to us i've never done that level like that before or it really that almost never happened and this is expert realism by the way we were it's not normal uh, difficulty where you can just kill a witch <laughs> in straight-up combat. Do, do, do you remember that time? Uh, I really wish we'd been recording it. That, that one time it was you and me and you know someone else, and like the there was a witch, and we were on expert, and it was just the three of us left, and we wanted to kill it, but like we we didn't we couldn't get into an angle to just crone it, so. I jumped up onto, like, a generator, and the witch was aggroed. Like, I, I aggroed the witch by catching a piece of it, and the idea was that it would run out, and the two of you would shoot it. But then, like, you just got shot, friendly fired instantly, and the witch <laughs> ran right past and killed me. 
Yeah, that sounds about right. And that was I remember, the event. Uh, on the fourth level of Blood Harvest once I was playing on Expert with uh with uh Glitch was there and I don't remember who else was. Um might have been Randy. Um and I ran out uh, like I I like bad things had happened and I was the only one left alive but I was like running out onto the bridge where the train car is with the uh the safe room and I thought like I had a clear path and everything and I was just like firing off into the distance at like some zombies that were coming up with a shotgun and then suddenly I hear the witch trigger and it turns out the witch was at the end of the bridge and I accidentally hit her with a little pellet and she ran up and murdered me like, and I was 10 feet away from the safe room. It was the worst. As it happens, I've been playing a game kind of obsessively uh, as of the, the last few days. I, I, I caught some meme which made a reference to Darkest Dungeon, which is not a game I had actually really played before. Oh, but really? It, it, yeah, uh, it's a game that I bought for my partner years ago. She was very, very fond of it. Uh, but I never really got into it myself, because here's the thing, I actually am not a huge fan of JRPG-style turn-based combat. Same. Uh, yeah. I don't know if I would it's describe Darkest Dungeon as having JRPG combat, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah? I mean, it's it's, it's basically the same. It's, okay, it's... hang on, let, let, me, let me take a step back there. I am not sensible to how it is different, so I'm, I'm actually kind of <laughs> curious uh, what would make you, you say that. Well, oftentimes, um, well, oftentimes your characters don't die quickly. Um, like, they're not expendable. They, you don't have the, um, like, the, often you don't have the row system with, like, spell distances. Like, that tactical element's not really a part of a lot of JRPGs. Yeah, I, I can't think of a JRPG where I've seen that. That is true. Okay, let me let me put it this way. It is turn-based unlike a game like a, an Infinity Engine or Western RPG. Uh, it is turn-based unlike a game in which your your characters Okay, so basically let's like there there's two schools of thought for real-time and turn-based gaming. Uh one is one in which turns are used as kind of a necessity to provide a structure but which the goal is still basically like a, a simulation of something that is real like the production of like a facsimile of an actual fantastical battlefield that is still somewhat approachable game wise so like old school 70s war games are uh like of this style and then there's what i i could personally consider like to be the jrpg style where it's like the combat is inherently abstract uh, where there's, you know, the, the use of uh, abilities and the use of kind of, uh, kind of the, 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 the turn structure is something that is clearly not meant to be a direct representation of time passing, uh, but is instead, like, it, it's a game mechanic like you would see in, like, a board game. Uh, so, more like card game and less like again old school war game but this this is i, I probably a very messy definition so darkest uh, dungeon is the second one of those i would hone in more on like whether or not combat takes place in the rest of the game world or you are sequestered off to a background and your characters are dumped on it and there's not really any kind of like movement about an area 
Um, and, and a lot of JRPGs don't really do that specifically, but like, if you want to like delineate the two, I'd say that like one kind of turn based is like, you are a character versus an enemy. You use abilities, uh, versus the character. And it's, and there's no environment attached to that. That's an interesting way of making a distinction, but also, again, like in Darkest Dungeon, the actual environments themselves are very clearly, like, abstract from the outset. Like, there, there's right. hallways, and then there's rooms, and the the actual features of the hallways and rooms, once combat begins, are irrelevant. Like, it, it doesn't really matter what it looks like, uh, how big the room is. Like, there, it doesn't. there's no different sizes of rooms. The room is just, like, literally a a zone delineated in which you can find an object or you can have a combat or you can rest. It's sort of that straightforward. Um, but anyway, I, I, I generally don't like combats um, that and I think Chris said same. And I kind of wonder actually, now that we've had this whole sort of argument about like uh, not liking certain kinds of combat uh, and like what those kinds even are, uh, what Chris was saying same to, no, I just, I, I'm coming off of like 30 hours of an Acronox and I'm kind of done with JRPG combat for like the next couple months at least. <laughs> so like, what what is it specifically that you find yourself uh, coming off of at least? Uh, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this. It's, there are, there are JRPGs that do the whole strategy thing pretty well. Um, and, and actually have a really interesting dynamic back and forth system. Um, but those really tend more towards the, the like tactical stuff. Like I love Disgaea cause Disgaea is like all, all the combat fighty stuff. And that really isn't even like a turn-based, I mean, it is turn-based, but it's not like what we're talking about when we say JRPGs at that point. Um, but I, I really don't like watching people do their moves and, and a fight that really is not that mentally taxing. And I'm basically just going through the motions and watching the same animations play out that really just it just takes forever and i just these games take forever they take so long <laughs> it, that that is i think part of it for me but also just like i think part of it is that i'm bad at traditional strategy sometimes like i'm i'm bad at sort of learning like okay, I have these abilities. They have those resistances. I like I, I don't have a lot of patience, uh, which is, I guess is not the same as saying I'm bad at it. But also just like I, I I I sometimes have difficulty keeping the whole picture in my head and making the ideal decision when my decisions are limited. Whereas like with games like Baldur's Gate, for example, I can find there's enough granularity to it since there's like kind of a battlefield and there's like different like uh, abilities that have unpredictable effects that I can kind of find a way at it to cheese it. Like I can kind of come up with like my own way of solving it, which I'm always better at than <laughs> whatever way they came up with. Uh, but so that's with it. all that out of the way, what do you think of Darkest yes. Dungeon? <laughs> I like it a lot. And I like it in some ways this... Okay, I don't want to say despite the mechanics, because I would say I'm enjoying them. Uh, I, I, and I think I'm enjoying them because I don't completely suck at them. They're pretty straightforward. They're not hard. 
Uh, I've actually also recently just started playing Darkest Dungeon myself, uh, despite having owned it for over a year. Um, I was really interested in it when it was early access, but I didn't want to buy it in early access and like play the game while it was unfinished and then like not get the experience of the game in its full state. And then I then I eventually got it and uh, didn't get around to playing it and it just kind of sat there for a while. Um, and like a month ago, I started uh, like my first campaign in it. Um, and I like the combat, but I feel like there are way too many different character classes to really work out like how like these character class, like how one character class plays off of another or off of another and how to like build an effective team because there's like 20 different character classes and each character class has eight different abilities of which you can bring four to an encounter. And you've got to make decisions about which abilities to bring and, uh, which abilities like and and you upgrade these abilities so you got to make a decision like pretty early on like okay am i gonna lock this hero in as this kind of hero that's got this stuff upgraded right because each power is it's not just oh i have this ability and i don't have that ability it's not just oh i have this utility and i don't have that utility also powers usually only work within a certain position in the group so you find yourself uh doing a lot of strategizing out of the actual dungeons where you're just trying to figure out like okay what kinds of parties do I have here? Because I, you know, it's all well and good to get one party perfect 100% where the guy in the back has got the best powers for the guy in the back that also synergizes with the guy in the third rank who has the best powers for the third rank who also synergizes with the guy who's in the second rank who has the best powers for the second rank who also synergizes with the guy in the first rank. And you get all that straightened out, and then one of them, like, gets uh, some kind of wasting disease, or, like, needs to take a break, or dies, and you suddenly have to put together a new party, which just throws it all into fucking chaos. And you don't even touch on the the bit where some characters have abilities that move where they are in the placement. Oh and then yeah, you gotta balance out like, oh man, well, how do we do that? Because if because just moving by itself, like if you just pick the move to a different spot option, it you spends your entire turn doing that. Right, and then there's okay, so there's artifacts, and this should give you an idea of why I'm terrible at JRPGs. Uh, but so there's artifacts that you you equip on your characters that like have very significant effects on their abilities, and not infrequently i will forget to equip my characters with them before i send them in the dungeon by which point it is of course too late uh that's an example and you know obviously this is a problem in western rpgs too but it's it's like when you're dealing with systems that are usually fairly like overt uh and you know where you know each each turn is kind of important uh, it's uh, there's less room to wiggle around, kind of the the default like mechanics. It's somehow it feels like more of a liability. So the reason I'm playing the game is, I actually am a huge fan of what this game accomplishes artistically, and I I don't necessarily mean that in any like high sense. Like I I don't mean that it it is it has some kind of literary content that I think is no I actually just think it's cool as hell. Like, I, I think that it, it synergizes really good, evocative art. 
that 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 captures this this tone of kind of like gothic horror uh in the dungeon crawling sense it synergizes that with this awesome narration which has a great framing device. So basically the idea is that you the character like that you the protagonist are not actually a represented character um but your role is that you are the inheritor of a house whose head from like the 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 mansion that was your property and from your lands uh was responsible for creating this like Diablo style corruption which is spread out in the landscape and you're coming back to seal it and kind of redeem your family line and also reclaim your heritage and the beginning narration is a letter being written by uh i, I guess your father or whatever uh, i'm not sure it's ever explicitly stated but he also sort of so he's he's dead by the time the game begins but he sticks around as like the voice he sticks around as like the, the the kind of the the narrator of the game and will just narrate like little things that happen and he just has this like really unchill like thing vibe going where he is like kind of cynical and bitter and like foreboding and just you know there's nothing that happens is ever good with this guy <laughs> maybe it's yeah. a little bit good but it's about to turn bad and I, I i really dig it it's it's almost one of my favorite parts of the game despite the fact that of course it's 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 not hugely uh consequential in the gameplay sense i feel it's the like... narrator is the the most lovecraftian element of the game Oh, absolutely. It's it, it's like a kind of a pocket Lovecraft. Like, let, let me give you yeah. an idea of like this this narrator. Like, if you're going to like the, a, a burger shop and you discover that you have a two for one coupon in your pocket, the narrator will suddenly kick in with like salted flesh, a small trace of comfort in this world. It's just like Je you're like Jesus Christ. <laughs> I was all chipper, but you kind of took the wind out of my sails there, even though you're trying to hype me up. And then, God forbid, things actually start going the badly. Person. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I want to look up a few quotes just to get this across here. Oh, the voice acting, of course, is incredible for this this character, which is great, because he's also, like, the only voice actor. It's just, like, also, like, every little touch in this game is on point. Like, there's a caretaker in, like, the town, which is kind of like your your interface for upgrading everything. Uh, and his mechanical function is that he, like, occupies... Uh, occasionally he occupies slots that you would want to put your hero into, because he just goes around town doing his thing. Uh, so he's, in a board game, he's kind of like the spoiler unit. Uh, like the the bandit in Catan, but uh, the art for the character is, is just like this giggling like manic dude who's living in the Hellmouth, but he's just fucking loving it, and it's it's it really it it, it it's such a small thing, but it's it's really cool. Okay, a couple of narrator quotes here. All right, so here's here's like what it says like when you click on the tavern like for the first time. Like the tavern. Fresh kegs, cards, and curtained rooms promise solace to the weary and the broken alike. Like that's the narration for the fucking bar. The bar in Helltown. It's like imagine they put that over the door. People would just like get shit-faced in a ditch. So, you know what I want now? I want someone to mod all of that voice actor's files into The Sims and just have that pop up 
like <laughs> when you buy a new refrigerator or something. <laughs> I want oh, just this- I want a relentlessly happy game that has that guy as the narrator doing those lines. Yeah, don't, oh my god, I really want a Sims like somebody to make like at least a captioned like Sims Darkest Dungeon mashup. Like your Sim is about to like <laughs> has to go to the bathroom, but they're like stuck at work and it's like dazed, reeling, about to break. <laughs> like would like one of your Sims like leaves the house because he can't take the other Sims, just another soul battered and broken, cast aside like a spent torch. Your sim doesn't make his aspirations he create a new household. Suffer not the lame horse, nor the broken man. <laughs> you clean your apartment. Driving out corruption is an endless battle, but one that must be fought. So are you just reading from quotes from the game? <laughs> At this point, yes. You design a house with a bad layout. The swine folks labyrinth may yet prove to be navigable. I I don't know if, if the Sims is smart enough to know when a house has a bad layout. <laughs> I you, you know, I actually kind of wonder. Uh is it possible like because it, it seems to me that like hmm, it actually I wonder now how much of uh, the design work in The Sims is done like manually. Like how many how like ha- I guess there aren't so many houses and businesses that they can't just have somebody who's full time is to just put together this doll furniture. But it would oh, also it, seem it's it's definitely one hundred percent like hand built. Like the the houses in the game are way too good to have been like randomly generated or anything like that. I guess that's true. And the way that they end it, like, like, especially when you see, like, um, like in The Sims 4, there's the city, uh, like the urban, um, neighborhood and, like, those have to integrate specifically into, like, these skyscraper models and whatever. So, like, yeah, it's definitely, like, all hand built and, and coordinated. Clearly someone who has some understanding of architecture because they make stuff that looks way better than I do. Yeah. What's our time? Um, I think we've been going for like 35, 45 minutes. Yeah, they're about. Oh, all right. Want to just call? Do we want to? We have a mailbag. I have an email from PayPal on the mailbag. Let's do that. Because <laughs> I, I couldn't. I, I had an old PayPal uh account that that was like tied to. My other, my main email, so I couldn't put it, like, I, and it was like, it, it was like, I think something I made when I was, like, 16, and it had my dad's name on it, and, like, PayPal is an ass about changing anything, so, like, I couldn't use that account, but I also can't sign up for an account, like, two PayPal accounts on the same email, so, uh, the... I put one on the spoiler warning show email at some point because it was the other email that I had around. Um, so in addition to mailbag stuff, I occasionally get PayPal credit offers. And it's like, no, I never want a credit card for you, PayPal, you piece of shit payment system. I hate PayPal, by the way. It's horrible. So so that's the mailbag, I guess. If, you, if you're an awful internet payment company used by eBay 
uh, please send us an email at spoilwarningshow at gmail.com uh, with your credit card offers that I will ignore. So... Well, I guess we may as well call that an episode. <laughs> All right. Say, say goodbye, everyone, Campster. Goodbye, everyone, Campster.